people through our eyes and ears become critically important as well. For every thought, word, and deed is in his view. Even though we will never, he will never leave us, it is entirely possible still to grieve the Holy Spirit. In trusting, instructing the Ephesians to not grieve the Spirit, Paul told them to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave and God forgave you. When we live by the Spirit, we will no longer gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Uh, and like I said, I, I had that article and it, and it was something that I was kind of scattering throughout the thing. And I had, well, wait a minute. I moved the context all around. I thought it was better just to deliver it as it was. And so uh, sharing that with you. Uh, today's text that I want to actually deal with is Ephesians chapter 2. And this is the one that we'll be using this morning. And it's also a reference to that we are the temple of God. Look at verse 19, Ephesians chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the context of this, we go back to Ephesians, uh, starting, say, with verse 11 and 12. Uh, Paul discussed who we were before we became Christians, who we were. Uh, verses 11 and 12 of, 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 of 2 Corinthians, it says, or, uh, Ephesians 2, says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision. In other words, the Gentiles who were called uncircumcision by the Jews who are called the circumcision. Uh, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were alienated from God. And by the way, anybody who has sin would be alienated from God. So that actually includes the Jews as well. So Christians and Jews alike are alienated from God unless we come into a relationship with Christ Jesus. And, and so we look at this and, and see that, well, this picture where he says that we are strangers, uh, we are alienated from the commonwealth of, 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 of Israel and strangers to the covenants. It also, the words uh, alienated and, and, and strangers is the idea of those sojourning through the land and it would be today with the idea without a passport, without identity as to who you are. In other words, there was nothing to, to, to identify you as a citizen of God's kingdom. And so that's who you were. You were alienated and you were strangers uh, to God. You were separated from Him. But then Jesus has done something. And, and God has done something to, to intervene in this and to change the, the, the picture. And so we have the idea of what God has done on our behalf to change this situation. Starting with the 13th verse of, of uh, Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's referring to that between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's combined them into one. By abolishing the laws of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, a new creature, a new creation in Christ. In place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The far off, the Gentiles, those near, the Jews. He preached peace to both of you to reconcile. And the idea of peace here isn't peace like, again, that we think of in terms of peace between people and, and, and like we're not battling with each other, we're not warring with one another, this type of thing. It's peace between us and God. We weren't at peace with God. We were enemies of God. To be at peace with God, we needed a mediator, someone to intervene, a sacrifice that was so perfect, so unblemished, uh, that only God Himself through Jesus Christ on the cross could do it. As a result, we come through Christ, our perfect sacrifice, and we've been made at peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. And that brings us then to verse 19 through 22, which is where I want to focus this morning. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You were, but you no longer are this. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. By referring to the Holy Spirit. This is what we have become. And this is, like I said, where I want to focus this morning. First off, no longer strangers, no longer aliens. So what are we? Well, we're now fellow citizens. And the idea of fellow citizens in the context that's being used is also the idea of full citizenship. We're not entry level. We're full citizens. So it doesn't matter at what point you come into your relationship with Christ, you are a full citizen of the kingdom of God. So the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. How long was he a believer before he was taken to, to, to paradise? Moments. Okay? And, and yet he was full citizenship because he had confessed Christ. Okay? And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian. I just mentioned to a friend of, of Kathy's and I that we in the early church when we were first uh, going to church, uh, who was really special in our lives was Wes Tottingham. Wes started preaching when he was 17. He lived to be 104. And he still preached occasionally in his 90s. Uh, you know, he was, and up to 104, he was fully alert and aware of what was going on around him and, and serving Christ. And so... Somebody could say, look at Wes and say, well, wow, he'd been a, a Christian for, you know, from 17 to 104. Now, he has to have major citizenship. His citizenship isn't any more than the thief on the cross. Isn't that amazing? We are given full citizenship 
We are citizens, fellow citizens, together with the saints and members of the household of God. So we are full citizens of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is never going to end. It's an eternal relationship. With, with the idea of citizenship comes some responsibilities. We have duties. One of them is, is familiar to all of us. We are to seek Him. To seek Him first. His ways, His purposes. Again, in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, I read a little bit ago, it says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. We are called to glorify God in our body by what we do, what we think, what we say, our words, our deeds, all in Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Sounds familiar. Takes us to the Sermon on the Mount. And you can go through the whole Sermon on the Mount and see application to the things that we should be doing for God. But starting off with, you know, I think of, of you know, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and, and all these things shall be added unto you, is uh, chapter 6 of, of Matthew. This is in contrast to being citizens of the world. You see, once we enter into a relationship with Christ, Jesus tells us we're no longer a part of this world. We're in it, but not of it. Why? Because now we are citizens of His kingdom. We belong to Christ. And so the world becomes something that is no longer our measuring rod for what is right, what is wrong, and, and how we should live. What becomes our measuring rod then? The God-breathed Word becomes our standard. with Christ at its head. So what do we call to do as we realize that we're no longer part of the build, but we are to, to as, as well, if we go to First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 again, he, he says that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy righteous, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How often do we find ourselves looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, which is an acceptable sacrifice to God. And he says, furthermore, don't be conformed to the world, but what? Be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And it's done through the Word and, and being in the Word and, and studying the Word, listening to the Word, doing what we're doing this morning, sharing in the Word. I feel that as, as we come together in Bible studies and in, in, in worship like this today where we open the Word of God to share and to study, that's another point where we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We offer ourselves, Lord, take us, change us, mold us into what You want us to be, an acceptable offering. We are not in the world, we're, not, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of it. So we believe differently than the world. We live differently than the world. We care and love one another differently than the world. Jesus again told the, 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 the disciples, 
They will know that, we, that you are my followers that, that, that by how you do what? How you love one another. There's going to be something distinct about the way you guys come alongside each other, minister to one another, and take care of one another. And it's going to set you apart from the world. It's going to make you different. Our primary motive, again, glorify God to please and to bless the Lord. And automatically, you you think, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Uh, one of my favorite praise songs, you know, to sing. Uh, and you, you know, somebody will say, "Well, why didn't you sing it?" You know that I don't sing alone because I can't find my key. Uh, you know, our 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 worldview is changed. It is now being shaped by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit in us, opening our eyes. How many times do you find yourself going to the Word of God and stuff that you have read? Once, twice, thrice, ten times, fifteen times, and still you go to it and all of a sudden something clicks and says, man, this goes with that. And you've taken another leap, maybe a small leap, maybe a big leap in your walk with the Lord as the Holy Spirit. And you think, why, why didn't I see that before? Well, it's because I hadn't been applying these first things. But as I started to apply those first things through the power of the Holy Spirit in me, working in me, opening my eyes, and giving me the strength to do it, as I started applying those things, I all of a sudden could see this one that needed to be a part of that picture. Our worldview has changed by His Word. Our moral code is changed by His Word. It, it tells us what is right and wrong in the sense of morality. Christians uh, take a, a, a hard hit in our culture today because we have certain things that we stand on. We stand on certain gender issues. That a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and the two have no, you know, when when they're in, in common with themselves or each other, uh, man with man or woman with woman, it's it's an uh, an abomination. And we call, you know, so we say. Homosexuality is not acceptable. Somebody says it's in our bylaws even. We stand on that. And, 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 and people say, why do you go so narrow? Because God's Word goes so narrow. And so it changes the way we think. It changes the way we look at things. We're no longer strangers or aliens. We now have passports. And our passport is identified as home residence, the kingdom of God. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. And even that phrase, the household of God, is singularly important. It also could be said, the family of God. And then again comes the, the Gaither song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We were in one church that sang that as the opening anthem every Sunday morning. And it's not a bad place to start. I am so glad I am a part of the family of God. We say brothers and sisters around here. Why? Because we're related to one another through the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of any other combination, if you will. Because we say family blood and blood of the family is thicker than, you know, not outside that. Well, this, this blood is even, even stronger. 
No longer strangers and aliens, fellow citizens, the household of God, the family of God. One family. Galatians 3.28, uh, verse uh, 29, uh, 3.28 and 29. Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What a powerful statement. We are included in the promises of God. I'll clear back to Abraham. We are joint heirs with Jesus. I love this picture. No Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male, no female. You're all one in Christ. Nationality doesn't have anything to do with our relationship in the kingdom of God. Genealogy has nothing to do because our genealogy is no longer the genealogy of this world, but in a sense it's the genealogy of Christ. Because we're in Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Ethnicity. Doesn't matter what ethnic background you come from. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you're saved. It doesn't matter where you come from. Where do we have missionaries? Even from our little congregation, we support missionaries that are all over the world. We find them in Africa, we find them in Asia, we find them in South America. Ethnicity has nothing to do with it. Because once you enter into the kingdom of God, you have a new label, if you will. I am part of the kingdom of God. I am a Christian. That's my nationality. And I want to be careful. That doesn't mean you can't be patriotic in the United States of America. But it does mean that Christ is our assessment, even through Christ, as to everything that goes on within the framework of the United States of America as to whether we agree or disagree. Where you find your standard? Again, through Christ. No longer strangers and aliens. We're fellow citizens. We're the household of God. We belong. We are loved. And I put in parentheses here with a number of dots. So loved with a number of dots. Thinking of John 3.15. We care for one another. Getting through this fallen world together. It's no longer our world, but it's fallen and we're still in it and we're still in the flesh and we, we, we succumb to that occasionally. And, we, and, and even in that, we're not to condemn each other, but we're to come alongside each other and assist each other of getting out of the pit. And, and, and it, it, you know, John makes it clear, if we see that we have sin then we confess our sin. Jesus is faithful to forgive us our sin. And he says in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, don't forget we have a mediator, a lawyer, standing before the throne of God, Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's, it's fixed in our, in our favor. If we belong to Christ, our lawyer defends us. And when God sees us, He sees us through our, our mediator as perfect even now to what we will be ultimately. So, as we go through this fallen world together and minister one to another and we care for one another, 
Again, that idea of they will know you are Christians by how you love each other. Uh, the, the one person put it this way, and I just wrote this down, the great storms of life, illnesses, death of loved ones, war, plagues, facing your own mortality, your own death. We do this all with a confidence that God in His sovereignty sees all of this, has put it all together in such a way that He will ultimately be glorified and that we will build, be built up in Him to face whatever comes our way. But interestingly enough, it's not to be faced one by one, but together as a family. God never intended us to be on our own. People who say that they could be a Christian, and, and this is kind of where I first started, and my thinking was you know, being a part of a church is... You know, that, uh, I, I looked at, at, at churches and I, you know, you can go to any church and look and see, oh, I know that person and in business or something, or I've heard him say this over here or whatever. And you can find people say hypocrites. And I say, what better place for us to be than where the Word of God is preached and maybe God can work that out in us. Because all of us are hypocrites at some point in time. That's what sin is. We declare sin is bad and then we... Give in. God is here to see us through in all of these things that we deal with together. So that person walking around, like I said, I was given over to this for a very short time and I became a Christian. Became a Christian without being a part of a, a congregation or being in congregation. And and for a couple of weeks sitting there thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm worshiping God as I work in my shop and I'm worshiping God as I do this and I'm worshiping God. And I was playing worship music in my, in my shop all the you know, and, and uh, my wife's mother had all these great albums uh, and, and my two favorites were one was a Tennessee Ernie Ford album and the other one was uh, a, uh, uh, called Sunday Sax, uh, which was a saxophone album and it was all all hymns and, 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 and Christian music. I played them over and over and over again. And I said, you know, I, I, this, is, this, is, this is cool, this is worship. And then it hit me that, you know, can't do this alone. I, I need, Kathy and I need more than just us. Kathy's mom says, well, I know where you can go to church. The church that I go to, you know, she mentioned, it was interesting, she mentioned a friend had been mine that was an elder at the church. The friend that had been mine had been my friend while I was in college. He was not a Christian then, neither was I. We were lab partners, uh, partners in a couple of other classes where we had English labs and projects that you had to work together, and history labs and stuff where you had to do projects together. He and I piled up. And I knew him as, as, as a, uh, he was a divorced man and he was a bar cruiser. And uh, now he's an elder in the church. I figured if they can help him, they can help me. And that's where we started. By the way, it was too late to, to see him because he was already at San Jose Bible College going on to the ministry. And uh, so that idea that God means us to be in a congregation 
and to be in the body of Christ so that we can minister one to another and develop our gifts of serving one another. And, and serving one another and ministering to one another is the way God intended us to grow. And sometimes getting through trials and tribulations together to help us grow. Well, finally, we are looking at this and, and, and we are a holy temple in the Lord. So, you know, we've looked at the fact that, that, that we're no longer so, uh, aliens, that we're part of the family of God, uh, the part of the household of God. Uh, we're now looked at as, as we are the holy temple in the Lord. God's growing temple, it says. Could literally be translated God's living temple, and immediately took him back to to, to uh, First Peter, where it says that he is building a, uh, God is building a temple of what kind of stones? Living stones. That's us. He's building a, a, a temple of, of living stones. We are the building materials that God is using, and He says He's he, He's dwelling in that. You know how important it is to grasp that that glimpse of of, of the idea of the temple? I mean, for the the Jewish people, the tabernacle and then the the physical temple itself in Jerusalem, uh, and more than one, we went through three, uh, but but that was where God would reside. He would would come. He would reveal His glory. They say the Shekinah glory, the, the glory of God, sometimes so powerful that even the priests couldn't approach. You know, just an, uh, the amazing presence of God. And this is where they were to come to, 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 to hear God, to, to worship God, to bring their, their offerings to God. And, and, and so the, that was the, the temple. The temple is now the church. God's people. The body of Christ. The bride of Christ. The adopted. The chosen. The justified. And it says that we are a living temple. I love the pictures that, 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 Paul, start, or, you know, that Paul starts to get into here in, in Ephesians. You know, we have one foundation. And he says the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. Now, the apostles, that makes sense, you know, you know which, which apostles? They're the ones who wrote the Scriptures for us, the, the, the twelve that, that followed after Christ and, and started the church, the apostles. Okay, but who are the prophets? Were they prophets of the New Testament? No, I think he's referring to prophets of the Old Testament. Why I feel this way is because how Jesus dealt with it when he was describing himself to the two men on the road to Emmaus. If you were to go to uh, Luke chapter 24, where that was that, that accounting is, and it says that Jesus started sharing Moses and the prophets, to, within respect to all of the Scripture. All of the, 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 the Word of God that had dealt with identifying Him. And so we see Christ in the Old Testament revealed there. And, and the idea was all the Scriptures of the prophets and Moses. And so our foundation is built on the Word of God. It's where we get our understanding. It's our foundation. Jesus Christ, it says, Himself being the cornerstone of the foundation. 
I don't know how many of you understand cornerstones. It's not something that, that people use today. It used to be if a building was dedicated, there was a person laying a cornerstone. But even then, it was uh, if it was something that you grew up, anybody in this room grew up with, it was a symbolic picture. But there was a time and a point where, where a cornerstone was critical. In the building of all of the ancient ruins of the world, there is a cornerstone that is critical to the structure. That cornerstone is, is set in such a way that it's on solid footing. It can't sink. It's, 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 uh, it's the very essence of everything that building is. Everything that goes up, everything that goes out is measured intricately from that cornerstone. Even things that were built by, uh, you know, as idol worship and stuff like the pyramids. You look, you know, people look at those things today and they're amazed by them, the, the precision. Why? Because there's a cornerstone and everything comes from that. The temple had a cornerstone, even in, in Jerusalem, and everything is measured off of that. I have, you know, like, and, and, and today we use transits, you know, with, with the little eyeglass and a guy over here with a pole lifting things up and down. We get the idea and we get the measurement right. But a lot of times when you're like myself, who's a do-it-yourselfer, I don't have a transit. So what do I do? I, I, I have a, 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 a brick with a piece of, of wood in the thing, which is normally used for pillar foundations. And I, I use that and I get that solid and set. And then I put a nail in that and a string from that. And I have these little levels that hang on the string. And I can get it up and down until I get it level. And then I know that's the height that this next stone over here that this building's going to rest on with the foundation has to be. Everything is measured off that corner. So it still works today. I'm just saying that a cornerstone is a critical factor in the idea of everything being right, especially when you gear it to the time that this is set. Everything in the building is keyed off of it. Christ is the cornerstone. He is the keystone. He is the headstone. He is the, 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 the actual thing that everything is measured from. If, that's, if Christ is not the cornerstone of the foundation, the foundation won't hold in a theological or spiritual context. So all of the foundations of, 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 of the, the, the religions that, that do not honor the Christ of the Scriptures, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Trinity, all that we honor, all of them are built on a foundation that has a cornerstone that can shift. And what's interesting is to see a lot of the cults and stuff today, as you go back over the years, how many times they have shifted because their cornerstone's not fixed. It's not Christ. But when Christ is the cornerstone, everything measures off of that. And so when we come to the Word, we look for Christ and we find Him in the Old Testament pointing to Him and the Gospels looking at Him and the letters looking back at Him. It's always the focus. Somewhere leading. The seed of Abraham. Christ. The seed of a woman. Clear back in Genesis. Christ. The foundation. He is our rock. We sing songs about He is you know, the rock of our salvation. Okay? And it makes you go right to the, to the parable of the builders in Matthew chapter 7. What were they doing? You build a house on the rock, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, or you build your house on shifting sand. 
which one stands the test of time, which one stands through the storm. And, of course, we're looking at the storms of life and, and all the things that it brings with it in a fallen world. In verse 22 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says, In Him you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And again, that takes me back to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're being built, living stones being built together with Christ as the cornerstone of the temple of God to be inhabited, to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, just that question. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Which means offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. The price that Jesus paid. Be closing with these thoughts this morning. Found in chapter 2 of Philippians, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Why? Because He was equal with God. He didn't have to grasp that. But He made Himself nothing. He emptied Himself. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. And the idea of being found in human form means that He was a man. He was in the flesh. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We've been bought with a price. The God of all creation went to the cross. And on the cross He said the words, It is finished. And He gave up His spirit. He died for us. We will never know the full punishment of our sins because Christ took it on Himself. We know the punishment and the consequences of sin laterally, but we will never know the consequences of the eternal separation from God if we rest in Jesus Christ. If we've confessed with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and we've been saved, we will know no end to our relationship with Christ. And as a result, we will not know that full consequence. We will never experience because Christ did it for us. In His words, it is finished. means there is nothing left to do. There's nothing we bring with us when we come to the cross. When we come to Christ, He has done it all. And people say, well, you've just been talking about living for Christ and living for the glory of God. That's something that is done through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not something we ever could do on our own. And so, it all comes to the glory of God. Nothing from us. But the joy of our salvation, knowing that God has saved us. And so, as we come to communion this morning, it's, all, it's, a, it's a time where we can look in, in, and examine ourselves uh, we frequently use the scripture uh, to come to communion with out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
where Paul says, uh, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord to death until he comes. We frequently stop there. That's a typical scripture for communion. But verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and, and, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We are to look at ourselves, bring ourselves before the throne of God say, I, I, you know, what is in me that you want to change today? Is there any sin within me? Is there, any, is there anything, Lord, that you want to change in me that make aware of things of omission, things of commission, asking a lot to be right with God? People say there's not enough time before communion to do that. Then do it before church. Do it when you get up in the morning. You know where you're going to be. You know, I, I, get, I, I get so frustrated at times where I tell people tell me, well, we need a little more music to get ready. We should come ready. And so, as we come to communion, we should have actually laid our hearts before the Lord before we ever got here. And, and I think we should be doing that. How often does the Scripture say? Every day? So, let's have communion together. I ask the ushers to come and to pass out the, the emblems. Hold them until we've all been served and we'll share communion together.